Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. This is the fourth week where we've been doing a series on prayer based on looking at phrases out of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we've talked about various bits of it already, but how it was never intended that it should be something that we just recite parrot fashion. But Jesus was responding to his disciples who said, teach us how to pray. And so what he did was he gave them a structure that showed them how to go about praying. And it wasn't really intended to be something we just recite, but something we look at that guides us, that tells us how to pray. And we've looked at the first three phrases already. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this morning, we're going to look at what appears in essence to be just a very simple request. Give us today our daily bread. If you want, you could subtitle this morning, Praying for the Things You Need. Now, how many of you have things you need in your life? Only a few. I'm surprised it's not. Oh, that's better. Okay. How many of you are aware of needs in your family or in the church or amongst friends? Hmm. That's most of us too. How many have prayed about them? Oh, good. Good number. Excellent. Because what Jesus is doing here in this phrase is he's giving us a wonderful invitation. He's giving us the invitation to ask our Heavenly Father for the things that we need. Now, some people, when they look at this passage, take that phrase, daily bread, and spiritualize it. And they say, it just means our spiritual food. Others go in the other direction and teach that it's all about finance and material provision and they preach what, what is known colloquially as a prosperity gospel. And what they begin to teach is, if you pray for it, God will give it, and if he doesn't give it, it's because you haven't got enough faith. Well, I don't believe that. But I do believe that this phrase is about God providing for us wherever we have needs. I think it's clearly talking about material provision, and we'll look at that. But it's also talking about a far wider thing. When Jesus was talking to the Phyrophoenician woman, woman, thank you David Neve, he made a comment... Okay, He talked about the bread 
that fell from the table. And when he was talking about that bread, he was talking about healing and about salvation. So Jesus called healing and salvation the children's bread. Yes, we need basic strength, we need peace in all kinds of situations, but there's a part of God's provision that is about healing and about salvation. We need wisdom in all kinds of situations, and the Bible tells us to look to God for wisdom. So when it says, give us our daily bread, it's not just talking about the bread and food on our table, It's talking about us developing a dependency on God where throughout our day we can send up prayers whenever we encounter needs or problems. Where as we go through our day we can say, Father, give me wisdom in this situation, I need it. I need your peace here. Father, I don't know what to do here. Bring your word to me in this situation. Father, I need strength here. It's all part of that relationship that we talked about in the first phrase, where we call God our Father, where we can come as dependent children on him and say, Father, give me what I need. It's in that broad context. You know there's the passage in scripture that talks about fatherhood. And it says, which one of you, if your children come to you with a need, will give them anything other than the best? So when we look at that passage, that's what we need to understand by it. When we look at that passage, what we also find is it's in Matthew 6.11... But it comes not only in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, but right in the middle of one of the significant, most significant portions of teaching in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in chapters 5, 6 and 7, is this passage on the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. Now Jesus had a lot to say about provision in the rest of chapter 6, and it goes on into chapter 7. So we're going to look at those passages as well. Because they give us an understanding of how we are to pray for what we need. And I want to look this morning at three principles that will help us pray for what we need. The first one. To pray for what we need, we need to first of all be in the will of God. I just don't think you can pray properly for the provision of God if you are doing things outside of his will. So here we see Jesus, he's talking to his disciples about being the new sons of the kingdom. And he's contrasting their righteousness with the acts of the Pharisees. He's been saying, just because you are no longer under the legalistic system of the law that the Pharisees imposed, doesn't mean you can go out and just be disobedient. In fact, he was saying that your righteousness 
should make you want to do more. It should make you want to surpass what the Pharisees were teaching. We know that the righteousness we live in is as a result of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. It's not as a result of trying to keep the law. But Jesus still said a lot about obedience. Now there are people who don't like that word. Obedience. But Paul says, do we understand the grace, the word grace of God to mean that we have a license to do whatever we want? No. God's grace comes to set you free, to put you in a right standing with God and then to empower you to do God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see in verse 1 of chapter 6 right through to verse 23 a theme of staying in the will of God. If you look at that passage it says God does not miss a thing. It says, when you give to someone, God doesn't miss a thing. He sees it. That's in verse 1. When you spend time in prayer, God doesn't miss that. He sees that as well. It's in verse 5. When you fast, don't think God doesn't notice that either. He sees that. That's in verse 16. Now we have to understand our deeds are not necessary to earn God's favour. He's our Father. He loves us whether we do these things or not. But what they do do is put us in a better position to enjoy more of his favour. And so throughout that passage, from verse 1 right through to 18, we see an exhortation to remain in the will of God, to be doers of his word. In verse 1 it says, be careful not to let your acts of righteousness before men. Sorry, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. We are meant to be a blessing to the world. We're not being told not to do these things. But he's talking about our motivation. We shouldn't be doing it to gain favour with men or to gain recognition. We are righteous. We have received the gift of righteousness and as a result we should be motivated to move on and do acts of righteousness with others. And Jesus highlights three things in that passage that the Pharisees were very good at doing but were doing it with the wrong motivation. It was giving, praying and fasting. It's interesting. They're all things that our natural self hates. Giving hits at our human selfishness. Praying really gets us about our desire to do things ourselves. And fasting, which is not natural to go without food. 
But Jesus wasn't saying, don't do these things. He was saying, when you do them, make sure you have the right motive. What was the wrong motive? It was to do it for show, to do it for recognition of the people around you. That's why he says, do these things in secret. Now he doesn't mean that everything we do should be in secret or anonymous. There's other references in scripture to public offerings. When Barnabas gave a field to the, to the apostles in Acts 4, everybody knew he'd given it. But it was about motive. Barnabas's motive in giving that field wasn't to gain recognition or favour for himself. We're told that in relation to acts of kindness, to let our lights shine before men. But it goes on. It says, so that they may praise your Father in heaven. It's not to bring glory to us. We're meant to be generous so that glory is given to God. We are meant to be reflecting God's generosity. And it's the same. When he talks about prayer, Jesus isn't about us getting together and praying together. But he says, don't pray to impress others. The same is true of fasting. It mustn't be with the motivation of what others think. It's about getting ourselves before God to receive his blessing. Have you looked at some of the promises in this passage? How about this one? Verse 2. When you give to the needy. When you pray. When you fast. Then your father who sees what is done in secret. Will reward you. As a reward for being obedient. That reward is God's blessing that's going to flow in your life. Now, I have no doubt, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed firstly because of God's grace on my life. I'm blessed because of his unconditional favour towards me. But I also know, if I want to see other blessings from God in my life, I need to be obedient to him. can see this in the Old Testament. If you look in Deuteronomy 28, it was there under the law. But what we know is the things under the new covenant, those that come out of grace, will be much more than the things that came out of the law. So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 3, it says, You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. 
They will come at you from one direction and another, but they will flee in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's given you. He will establish you as a holy people, as he promised you on oath. And then in verse 10, Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Why? Because God's abundant blessing is so evident on you. It goes on. It goes on and on in that chapter, talking about the blessing of God on our lives. And then it says in verse 14, Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or the left, following other gods or serving them. Isaiah said, If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. It's not that we earn the blessing. We are already blessed. But we walk into it through faith and obedience. So, we need, first of all, to be doers of the will of God. Going back to Matthew 6, verse 19 onwards... Jesus then changes the way he looks at this. And he starts to look at a different area of obedience. It's to do with money. So the second thing we need to do, as we walk in the will of God, is to be a good steward of God's wealth. Our attitude to money is important. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth but store up treasures in heaven. Now this is still in the same passage and the same context where he said, pray for your daily needs. So pray for your daily needs and don't store up treasure on earth, but look for treasure in heaven. If we don't understand the difference between being a Christian or someone who isn't, with regard to our attitude to money, then we need to understand we can't just tack a quick ask onto the end of our prayers and ask God to condone our silly, materialistic lifestyle. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the issue. He says in another passage that we can't love God and money at the same time. We looked earlier at how there are two kingdoms. And when we're born again, we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and taken in to the kingdom of light. And there is no connection between the two kingdoms. They're not related in any way. They're totally different kingdoms. And God's kingdom has a totally different set of financial systems and values than the rest of the world. It says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Isn't that true? The things people will do because of their love of money. That's what the world's dominated by. By a love of money. We need more. 
if we want to experience God's provision, we need to clear our minds and actions of those thoughts that the world plants. Who'd have thought that Bournemouth would end up with an £8 million building plot and the promise of a 1,500-seater auditorium at no cost to them? Who would have thought that East Grinstead would end up with a 41,000-square-foot building effectively being paid for by someone else? That's not to say it didn't come at sacrifice and cost to themselves. Actually, that is God's provision to them. So Jesus makes it clear that we're not to carry on living like we used to, spending our time in that endless pursuit of acquiring more and more and more. In fact, in Luke, there's a story of a farmer who builds bigger and bigger and bigger barns at the end of each year's harvest so that he can store more and more and more and become richer and richer and richer. And then at the end of his life, God says to him, You fool. You've lived for the things of the earth. That's where your treasure was. That's where your heart was. You fool. In fact, if you look at this passage about the Lord's Prayer, and look at the parallel passage in Luke, it says that judgment will come to the person who's looking after his own interests. That's the key. Now the Bible isn't against you having possessions or money. What it's against is those things owning you. It's when your car owns you. It's when your house owns you. That's where the problem comes. You get caught up in the love of money. Now you can be broke. You can have, you can have not two pennies to rub together. Or you can be a millionaire and still be godly with the way you use your money. Because it's about attitude. So what does it mean to be a good steward of God's wealth? What does it mean to store up treasure in heaven rather than for myself on earth? Just as an aside, when we're talking about these things... We're talking about storing up treasure in heaven. We may store up a reward in heaven, but we actually get a lot of the benefits now. Don't just think this is something for the future. The Bible says those who give up things now will be rewarded a hundredfold. So the rewards are wonderful. What does it mean to store up heavenly treasure? How can I serve God in a Western materialistic culture? The first thing is, if you give to God first, it deals with the whole issue of whether God is Lord in your life or possessions. That's what tithing's all about. It actually isn't important what the percentage is. The thing that is most important is that you decide firstly what I am going to give to God. It's that simple, basic, biblical teaching. Everything we have is actually God's. It's him that gives it to us. 
We don't own it. We look after it for him. We're stewards of it. And if we have that attitude, it demonstrates our acknowledgement that we owe him everything. And so that simple act of separating out 10% of everything he gives us as an act of worship, as an honouring of his covenant with us, as a giving of first fruit, demonstrates that we're thinking in God's kingdom, not about the economic system that prevails in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went round at work and said, but I gave 10% of everything I earned to the church, and sometimes a bit more, if there's a need or an offering, I know what people's reaction would be. I'd think I was bonkers. But we are part of a different kingdom. It runs on different principles. And I believe that as I honour God and his economic system, I'm going to be better off for it. I'm going to be better off now, and I'm certainly going to be better off eternally. Because what I'm doing is stopping money being the primary God in my life. I'm putting Jesus and his purposes right centre stage. So I become a steward of God's wealth, firstly, by being a giver. By being a giver into something that will last forever. God's kingdom. Then, we can get ready to believe for the provision of God. So can you remember what point one was? David can, because he wrote it down. First of all, we need to be in the will of God. Yeah? Then the second point is, then we need to get ready to actually believe for God's provision. In Matthew 6.25 onwards, it starts to unpack how as children of God, we can put faith in his provision. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, about what you would eat or drink, or about your body, about what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And it goes on. And why worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow. They don't labour, they don't spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown on the fire, will he not all the more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, 
or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble enough of its own. So we've seen that God sees our needs, our deeds, and he rewards them. What that passage tells us is not only does he see our deeds and reward them, but he sees our needs and provides for them. In verse 8, you've got that wonderful promise. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I don't know about you. Perhaps if we open this up for testimonies, a number of people could share how that had happened. I know in our life it happens from time to time. There's one story, Moena is particularly fond of giving, although I haven't heard it lately, probably because it's a few years old now. But actually... At a time when we were broke, my sister-in-law decided to get married. And her husband-to-be asked whether I'd be the best man. So I got my court suit out of the uh, cupboard and dusted it off. And Moana said to me, you can't wear that. I couldn't see what was wrong. Um, And I know, I was quite happy to wear that. It didn't bother me. Um, Moena, probably knowing what my mother-in-law's reaction would be, um, said, you can't wear that. And she prayed about it. And just before the wedding, someone put a note through our door saying, here's a cheque and it's for something you're praying for. And it was exactly the right amount of money to buy a suit and a new pair of shoes. What can I say? And I'm sure other people could share similar things. It's just that's one that so, it was so direct at the time. It was obvious for us. Do you remember when you had small children, those of you that have had kids? Did you sometimes feel that you knew what they needed better than they did? Did you ever feel that you anticipated their needs a bit? You could see them coming. You might have noticed their shoes were getting worn down and you thought they're going to need a new pair of shoes soon. Or it might have even been more immediate. It's middle of the afternoon, they're going to be screaming for tea shortly. When we looked at the names of God and how we could pray, hallowed be your name, one of them is Jehovah Jireh. Now, we usually translate that as Jehovah, Lord, our provider. But actually, if you look at the original Hebrew, what the word actually means, that word Jireh, is it means seas. It means seas. Literally what it means is, the Lord who sees. That's why he provides for us, because he sees what we need. 
if you think about that story where that name is first used for God, it's when Abraham is going up the mountain to sacrifice his son. But God had seen what Abraham needed. And he provided a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. Now I don't know about you, but I don't think that ram suddenly came into existence just as Isaac was put on the altar. I think God saw that need before Abraham was even climbing the mountain. And so there was a ram up there ready. So when we have needs, remember, when we tell God, it's not the first he knew about it. He already knows. He knows what you need. He isn't taken by surprise. But as a loving Heavenly Father, he has a longing and a willingness to provide for us. But sometimes he likes us to come to him and ask. In verse 25, we see the consequence of fully understanding that relationship. And it's simple. It says that we don't need to worry. You could be tempted to think that passage was written for our culture and our age. Because it says, don't worry four times. Jesus knew that worry is a real problem for us. That's why he repeated it. Our society is dominated by worry about things that we don't really need. What we need to learn to do is to trust God, our provider, for the things we do need. Worry doesn't change a thing. Whatever your problems or your needs at the moment, worry doesn't make any difference. Jesus says it. Don't worry. Which of you can add a single hour to your life? Which of you could add a single pound to your bank balance by worrying? Now the Bible's not saying, so chill out and do nothing. It's just saying there's a reason we don't need to worry. Because God is our provider. He's promised that he will feed his people. Look at the birds of the air. He's promised that he will clothe us. See how the lilies. But then he brings this to conclusion in verse 33 by saying, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we need to be in the will of God. We need to be putting his kingdom first. And then we need to believe for provision. And all these things will be added to you. And the third point is we need to be bold in asking. Now, it isn't easy to ask for provision when you're not in the will of God. Or when you're not in faith for it. But when you are, it becomes easy to pray not just in faith, but with boldness. 
hearing the testimonies of those churches that have had miraculous provision for buildings has made me want to be more bold about what we ask for. We can come to the Father of the universe and ask for whatever we need and as long as it's in his will, he'll provide it for us. And he answers, not just with what we need, but it says he meets our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He can do immeasurably more than we dare to ask for or think about. How often have we heard prophecies asking us to ask for more, to bring bigger requests to God? In James 4 verse 2 we read, You do not have because you do not ask. God wants us to ask. So let's be bold in our requests. He's really willing to provide. But he wants us to ask him. He knows better than we do what we need. But he waits until we ask. Because there's something that gives him glory when we ask and he answers. How often do we feel stressed about something we need and then realise we haven't even asked for it? We haven't asked the creator of the universe who could so easily provide it. So as you see God provide for you in little ways, you need to gain more confidence in asking. And I'd encourage you to take something I know Eve does seriously. Keep notes of what you ask for. And when God provides, put a tick against them. You may end up with some that are still on the list for a while. Keep asking. So in Matthew 6, 11, Jesus really is saying that when we ask, we need to be specific in our asking. Give us today our daily bread. Matthew 7 verses 7 and 8 tell us to be persistent. Keep on asking and you will receive. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. Sometimes you have to keep on asking. Now that's not about trying to persuade God to change his mind. He wants to provide for you. He's willing to provide for you. The persistence is really to say, we're not going to give up. Because we know God is good. We're going to keep going. We need to be like Jacob. He wrestled with God and in the middle of that wrestling he said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. If a son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We need to get on and do some asking.
We need to ask in God's will. We need to believe for provision. And we need to be bold in the asking. So when you come to that line in the Lord's Prayer, it's not just, give me this day our daily bread. I need to pray personally for our daily needs, for food, for clothing, for shelter. Because even if I work for a living and it comes through the money I earn, that is God's provision to me. I need to pray for enough to allow us to show God's generosity to us, to others. I need to pray for our own health and well-being. For my family and friends, I need to be praying for their needs and their concerns. Corporately, we need to be praying for somewhere suitable to meet. For the finances to fulfil the calling that God has put on us as a church. For a vision for the town, for the region and for the nation. And for growth. Give us this day our daily bread. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 